everyone. Welcome to the Island Talk Show. This is our 14th episode, and we are very happy to welcome uh, Mr. Bedirhan Mutlu from Turkey, who is a researcher in political science, and he holds uh, an MA from in political science from Sciences Po Paris, the very prestigious university. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tessine, for inviting me. Thank you for being with us. Uh, so I have already met uh, Mr. Badihan uh, in Tunis during our eighth uh, ILN eighth conference. He was one of our speakers, and he contribu contributed so much uh, to the diversity that we had uh, during that uh, conference. Today we're going to be talking about uh, a very uh, you know special topic. Uh, it goes under religious freedom, and we're going to talk about the history of public religious institutions um, in Tunisia. And uh, it's the area of focus of uh, Mr. Badirhan. I know he's from Turkey, but he might know better than I do um, on this regard, even though I'm from Tunisia. Uh, so uh, if we can, um, you know, start uh, talking about, you know, this topic, like broadly, if you can introduce our uh, viewers um, to this topic uh, a little bit, and then we will dive into the discussion. Yeah, sure. I mean, thank you again for this introduction. and. Uh, so I guess we're going to talk about uh, broadly the historical, uh, the history or the present of uh, public religious institutions in Tunisia, right? So when we're talking when in most of the Sunni majority Muslim countries, uh, official religious institutions are uh, among, if not the key players in um, how people or citizens engage with religion, right? So yeah. in Tunisia, you have the historical Zituna, which now is just a university, but it still continues to function. Uh, you have the Ministry of Religious Affairs. Uh, so you have equivalents of these of this ministry in different Muslim countries. Um, in Turkey, it's a directorate, for instance. Uh, and then you have the Office of the Mufti in, in some countries, including Tunisia. And you might have mm -hmm. other things like um, uh, institutions on Okaf, uh, which doesn't exist in Tunisia, but exists in other countries. And then, so those are the kinds of institutions that we'll be talking about and how they relate to politics and how they relate to maybe democracy or freedom of religion and these kind of concepts. So this is what I'm aiming at talking about today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what brought you into this, these kind of topics? Why are you interested in these topics in the first place? Okay, yeah. So I've been interested in understanding how religion and politics interact with one another, uh, particularly in the Arab world or in the broader uh, Muslim-majority countries, right? Mm -hmm. And I've been interested in Tunisia, considering what happened in Tunisia after 2011. I mean, I was one of the people who was very much impressed by the Arab uprisings when they happened in 2011, because I was still in high school back then, right? Yeah. So, and then I've so I've seen, I mean, as, as, as these movements like the Islamist rise and then the consequences, the divergence of consequences. Mm -hmm. And then I came into Tunisia and then I, I, I was thinking about what can I do? Like, what is an interesting way to grasp? And then one thing I was interested in is basically is understanding how religion and politics interact, right? How, how are the different ways in which uh, political, social, religious, and civil society actors or citizens are um, making these two things, these two huge broad categories interact with one another. And then one thing that has that has been much less researched in Tunisia was the case of official religious institutions, right? So I did, there was a lot of work on uh, in Nahda uh, as a movement. There was a lot of works on, there was some work on the growing uh, 
uh, civil society sphere, a religious yeah. civil society sphere, but there was very few works, if, if any, uh, about uh, the public side of these things. And I wanted to look deeper into this because it has a history. And, and, and there's a lot of works about, for instance, Al-Azhar in, 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 in Yes, in because Egypt, it's still right? running maybe, but it's not yeah, the case. But then if something is not running as it is in some other countries, why is that, right? Mm -hmm. but that was so, one of the key questions that I was interested in. What were your in. findings? Uh, so my findings were that, I mean, obviously there is a historical legacy and uh, of, uh, I don't know, if, maybe I should start with the history of, of yes. historical religious institutions in Tunisia, because then I can come maybe gradually to present, sure. right? So the, the history is that in Tunisia, you had the V-Tuna, right? It's considered the oldest university in the world. Uh, I mean, that's what they claim to be, at least. And it's very plausible that, that it is so. Um, uh, One of the first that, universities. Hmm? One of the first universities. Yeah, it is at least, we know that it is one of the first founded universities in the world, right? Yes. And it was an Islamic school, Islamic university. I mean, uh, and um, what happened is, uh, so it, uh, before uh, the, so it was kept intact. It, it has a history of over a millennium, right? Uh, 1,400 yeah. years nearly. Except and for the, the period when the Portuguese uh, colonized Tunisia and they turned it into a stable for 40 years. Yeah, so... You know yeah. Yeah, so you have that. But but on top of that, so the but the, the, the institution in terms of, I, I, from how I understand it, it's not as you understand it today, right? Because mm -hmm. if you go to Al-Azhar today, it's not just the Al-Azhar al-Sharif that exists, the mosque and the, the university yeah. uh, campus that's in Cairo. It's a network. Yes. Uh, so it's a network that has branches around Cairo, but also all around Egypt. So yes. this is uh, similar to what Zetuna was like uh, before the modern state was built in Tunisia, right? So it, it was home to about 30,000 students. Uh, so it was an educational system. It was not just one school. This was to me surprising coming from Turkey, right? When I came to first, uh, I, 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 introduced, I, I first saw this in Egypt, in Al-Azhar. I was like, I have a degree from Al-Azhar, but I studied in Aswan, right? So this was similar to what was in place in Tunisia. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but what happened is, is with Al-Azhar and, 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 and the two are completely different. So when the modern state happened in, in Tunisia, it wanted to transform the Tuna into a faculty of theology, basically. In the a separate state. university, yeah. Yeah, so that's what they wanted. So they, they, they sort of put the different branches of the Tuna, like the second secondary school, it had the, the so all of those would were put under the authority of the Minister of Education, typically. And the, the Zituna was reduced to a faculty of theology in 1957, if I'm not wrong. Yes. So it's one of the first acts of uh, the, uh, of Bourguiba when he assumes yeah. power. And this is a part of a larger project of Bourguiba, which is a, a project of modernization that, in his understanding, requires um, modernizing religion as well with his terms right so mm -hmm. he has an understanding of religion and this is a very particular thing about tunisian um modern state i think about Bourguiba precisely because people try to draw parallels between um the turk and Bourguiba. i was just going to ask about that yeah so there's a divergence here that i find okay. to be interesting and significant why because Bourguiba claims religious authority yeah uh, i i don't think Ataturk that openly claimed religious authority, right? So Bourguiba is quoted saying, uh, I am the head of state, 
And yeah. by the virtue of being head of state, I can give Ijtihad, right? So Ijtihad is religious exegesis. Yes. Uh, although he does not have religious training. And he doesn't believe in Ijtihad in the first place, so... What? It's quite fascinating. He doesn't even believe in that mechanism, but he wants I mean, to—he claimed it to himself just to, you know, um, you know, take control of of that aspect. It's, it's interesting, though. He claims religious authority, right? So this is a yes. strong claim to have religious authority in my eyes. Atatürk doesn't do this. He doesn't personally claim religious authority, and I think this is very interesting because that means that he gets to meddle with the religious sphere, right? Yeah. So it's not that he's just pushing. Or trying to reduce religious activity, he yes. is getting involved. So this is happening from within. He's trying to do it from within yeah. the religious sphere, right? And In one of the incidents, he actually gave, um, you know, a fatwa or made people, made sure yeah. you give fatwa to uh, let people, uh, you know, eat during the Ramadan day yeah. and stop fasting. But luckily, yeah. they did not uh, allow him to do that. Yeah. So this is similar. So he is involving himself very directly with religious field, right? And, and obviously, in the name of freedom. Yeah, so from, from with the freedom yeah. of people, with the, with the, with the, but with the functioning of religious authorities, right? Yeah. And this is something that uh, a, a quite a bit number of religious authorities at the time react to. And then Zitina has this characteristic of also when independence occurs, uh, of allying itself with the anti-Burgibists within the Disturian party, within the Neo-Disturb, right? Mm-hmm. So. Burgiba's rivals give a speech in Zituna. This also pisses off Burgiba. So it's not just about his uh, political theory or his, his idea. It's also a, a history of political rivalry. When a lot of the ulema ally themselves with his internal rivals within the Neodistur, he picks uh, Zituna as a rival himself, as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. Zituna gets... I don't want to call it shut down because it's not 100% shut down, but reduced to what it was historically, right? So it's dislocated from the mosque, right? Yes. The mosque becomes just a place of worship. And then he opens a faculty of theology within the University of Tunis, right? Yes. So, it's, um, so it becomes the Zitino theology of uh, faculty of theology, right? Yes. But... And then with Ben Ali, this is very interesting. But also, so while this happens, Zitino still has some people working there, right? There is still yeah. some some sort of religious ulema. Some of them are sent into exile. You have people like Anaifer. Yes. Uh, not not the current Anaifer. Uh, I think they're related. I don't know if it's the great uncle or uncle. I don't remember. Yeah, but, uh, right. Right, yeah. Salah And you have uh, other people um, like that who are very popular ulema, very popular scholars, who oppose occasionally uh, Burgiba's reforms, right? And then mm-hmm. they're, they're they're either sent away from the university, sometimes they're sent into exile. Yes. Sometimes it happens, you know, th- this is constant negotiations. Sometimes they're loved back, uh, you know, after a while. Mm-hmm. And then when, when, when Ben Ali takes over, he uh, transforms it, you know, back into university. So sort of the, the symbolic uh, re- uh, re- um, sort of evaluation of uh, Vituna, but yeah. with regards to its size, it doesn't grow really. It, it actually shrinks, right? Exactly, yeah. It actually yeah. shrinks with regards to its number of students and professors when Penali takes mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. Just a symbolic, a status sort of uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, but another thing that occurs simultaneously is that some of the Vituna ulema start giving informal lectures in their houses and in, in mosques. And this mm-hmm. is very interesting because I met 
couple of people and, 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 and a bunch of people, not maybe a bunch, but a few people from Nahda who are currently also doing religious activities who told they went into the houses or into the mosque to listen to these uh, or, or ulama from the to help lessons at their houses. Lessons, right? Mm -hmm. so there is an informal dissemination of knowledge that occurs. And from what I understand, this has impacted or this has been uh, um, a factor in the growth of uh, the Anahda or the whatever, party. You know, the Jama'a. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, or, or the, the Islamic tennis or before or it became a political party yeah before it became a political party yes so this is an interesting connection I think and then the second institution that I have tried to research on is the Ministry of religious institutions uh, religious affairs right ah, just uh, wait a second let's just stick to Zaytuna mosque for a second so don't you think it's it's um it's a big loss for for Tunisia and for the Muslim uh, world um that an mm -hmm. institution like that I mean for example endowments mm -hmm. They're gone, I mean, and look, normally they they can ensure the the independence of ulama from the state. But now it's mm -hmm. no longer the case, so they're not free. They're always mm -hmm. like like pounds to to the to mm -hmm. the authorities, which is a big loss, right? Um, it is a loss in a sense. Yes, I agree. But this is one thing I want to draw attention to is that Al Ashar today is very strong and powerful and large. But what is the extent of success of Al Ashar today in Egypt? Right, in although it's large, it, although it functions in the sense of, um, to what extent does Al Ashar contribute to our understanding of Islam, or in the sense of to giving Islam um, a contemporary, um, successful, uh, positive phase within the world, or even within the Islamic world. Well, right. it is producing. Uh, it is producing. Right. It is producing a lot of work. Literature yes, but, and ulama, and isn't it? It's true. It's doing much more than what Zituna is doing. I, I, I'm hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> in the same time, I don't think the size alone is should be taken as the sole uh, predictor of something. So what, what is what is wrong with Azhar? In uh, your what's your... wrong with Azhar is yeah. it's it's. it's uh, I mean, many things happened in the last in the last um, century that they themselves predicted limited religious freedom of many of their own professors in the course of the 20th century, right? Right, right. Uh, right. So there are cases of this where people have been accused of apostasy within al -Azhar. So this is, I think, a problem of al as well. So they have yeah. an orthodoxy. Their orthodoxy um, is uh, is not. It's not. You know. It's it's it's. It's not as open as it could have been. And I have friends who studied in Al-Azhar and they still complain about the, uh, how the educational methods are still as if they're dating back from three to four decades ago. I don't know. I haven't studied from there personally. Mm -hmm. But I have, I have known people who studied at Al-Azhar and who have been complaining about the educational methods of the university, right? Because they're not updated. They're not modern. They're not updated, exactly. They're not up to date. Yeah. Okay, so, but at least, but at least it's running, and there is room for improvement. Yeah. We can fix it. But in our case, it's gone. I don't think so. So this is this is my oh, sort of okay. pushback to you now. So right. what else has been happening? I don't know what's going to happen today with what's happening in Tunisia. But after the revolution, would I realize that Zituna had a chance to rediscuss its identity? Mm -hmm. So this was one of my main findings when I did my master's uh, thesis in Tunisia. Okay. But I, uh, 
because after the revolution, it doubled in size with regards to its faculty, with regards to its number of students. Okay. Uh, in a span of three years. The, but the, we're still the, talking about the university. See, I'm talking the about the mosque and the university. No, not the mosque, the university. I know, but I'm talking about that. It's 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 not like before. It's never. It's not like be before. Like... No. Yeah. It's not like before. It's not going to come back as before. I think the Tunisia yeah, again. I don't. I don't think so. But mm-hmm. so it, it is. So what happens? The mosque has become a place of worship. There was there were tries to reactivate sort of some sort of informal, or. Um, traditional classes yes. to larger publics within the mosque. That initiative failed. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, the university grew, and I think it's important to notice that the university grew. Yes. Uh, and 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 why? And because... it grew from international students as well. I have a lot of people from the yes. larger Muslim majority countries, especially Malaysia. And I don't know what they're doing here because they have the Malaysia, you know, Islamic yeah. universities. I don't know what yeah. they're doing. What they're because doing Virginia here. Has a historical. Uh, image still it has a heritage and the heritage means a lot in the minds of a lot of people maybe yeah yeah um and this this still resonates with and and also it has what people from lazitina claim to be you know the islam al wasatiya right yes. so the mod- islam yeah. of moderation as yes. their point of reference that's what they call into and 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 people are trying to what i've seen after the revolution is that people scholars students are trying to hang on to this heritage, this identity. And I think mm. it's important, and I don't think it's um, non-consequential. And, and the second thing that occurred after the revolution is that Anata, I mean, not Anata, I'm sorry, Zituna assumed institutional authority from the state interference. Uh, and so now the faculty of Zituna are free to appoint the, uh, the directors of the institutes and the mm-hmm. president of the university. So it's not it's similar to what happened in Anasar after the revolution. So the president of the university is appointed yeah. fr- from within the university without interfere with at least legally without from interference from the from the state, right? That is and the Ministry of Higher Education. No, it's not appointed by the Ministry of Higher Education. Yeah, normally they are. Like it's the case with the other universities. Yeah. So, so okay. the, the university gathers together to elect the university president. Okay. So okay. this has been gained after the revolution. All right, interesting. I didn't uh, know they have that. a say in, in, in appointing it. So and this is an important thing that happened there. And it's also interesting to see that the um, Zituna, on some occasions after the revolution, uh, the president and the faculty opposed political figures, including President Bajakai de Sepsi. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was in, early on. Yeah. Uh, what? In Early 19, on, right after the re- the revolution. No, so in nineteen first... in twenty eighteen. Oh, when he became president, I thought when, yeah, when after he, he became president. Well, after he okay. became president, Zituna professors and Zituna faculty right. came together and they published opinions on several occasions, uh, um, posing the decisions uh, or uh, projects of uh, President Sebsi. And, and 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 on some occasions they have been in struggle with the Minister of Religious Affairs, because the Minister of Religious Affairs is much more directly controlled yeah. by state authority. So, and one of these things happened when the, there's an institute in Kairouan, which is, which is an antenna, if you want, of, um, of the Tuna. So there is an, there is an institute yes. in Kairouan, which is yes. in charge of training imams currently. And this was yes. under joint um supervision of the ministry of um religious affairs and of the Juna. but yes. the ministry according 
to the uh, Zituna president of the time, refused to give the allocated funds for the functioning. And, 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 and there has been a struggle between the Ministry of, of, of Religious Affairs and Zituna, right? So two religious institutions of the same state, which are both public institutions, are in sort yeah. of in, have been in a quarrel with one another at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but this mm-hmm. shows, I think, that there is an autonomy that's being gained in Zituna right now. Yes. And it also shows that religious actors had the chance to more freely interact with one another um, and that there's competition among them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, some So the ministry is now, for the majority, for, for mostly is back to what it was before the revolution, but not completely. There is also more increased freedom. Like before, there was more police control over the imams, before yeah. the ministry had much more of a say of what the religious uh, religion uh, the minister of religious affairs did it did minister of religious affairs didn't have local branches before the revolution it now has yes. local, local branches uh, but still there's still uh, some form of state control over the imams um particularly after the 2014 2013 events in tunisia when in 2015 when there was a rise of um, terrorists who identify themselves yeah. with Islam, right? So this sort of uh, in 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 a in a struggle to fight against extremist uh, mm-hmm. current, the mm-hmm. state felt the need, I think, to increase its presence or this control of religious institutions. Now you can argue this is not the only way to do it, but this was the easiest way they found to do it, and they did it for a purpose. And I personally understand that that was a okay. purpose. So uh, in relation to, I mean, if we see all of this in relation to democracy and relationship- Okay, so in relation to democracy, um, I, so there are certain ways in which democracy, democratic countries interact with religious institutions, right? Yeah. And democracy, in my understanding, requires some form of autonomy for the state so that the, the will of the people can be expressed. So, so like there it used to be, for example, like Zaytuna used to be before, or do you prefer this way? Do you prefer this format? Oh, I don't think it's, oh, this is a big question. <laughs> I mean, I don't think either are appropriate. Because yeah. the, the, what it used to be was a traditional institution, and modernization has affected the world in a such a radical way, at least in my understanding, that mm-hmm. the traditional educational institutions had to do some reform. And this is something that everyone agreed upon. When you look at Al-Azhar, there's a very interesting book about this, about the reform in Al-Azhar by Indra Falkassing, I think, uh, yeah. where he she shows that even the so-called conservative ulama or the, or the traditional ulama, yeah. so we're not talking about people like Afghani or Abdu, right? People yeah. who oppose yeah. Afghani and Abdu's reforms, they themselves wanted to do some form of reform as well, right? Sure. So, the agreement for even for the is the same. Everyone wanted to do the reform. The divergence is the way in which reform should be conducted. I think yes. right. So some reform was needed. Uh, the way in which it was done in the in Tunisia was, I think, radical, and I think it was disruptive. So I think it created a, a void in religious sphere in Tunisia, and I yes. think this void created in religious sphere. Now I have to do more work on this, but my understanding is it's one of the reasons why tunisia has seen so much drive towards radical radicalism towards that void someone had to fill it and they did yeah because people had a demand for religious practice and religious uh, 
believes because um over overwhelming majority of Tunisians are Muslims, right? So yeah. there was a demand for a religious offer, you know, if you want to ter- term it in this economic words, right? Uh, but the Tunisian local offer of religion, if I want to term it very broadly like this, you know, I know this is not maybe the correct word to use, but to just yeah. to make it allegorically, yeah, you know, yeah. or, uh, meaningful, uh, it was not sufficient. So people went to external sources very often. And, and this created a huge disruption, in, in I think, in Tunisian religious sphere, because people, because the local uh, production of religious uh, um, sources or religious life was so limited that people had to turn to outside foreign sources, which typically came with um, more radical ideas, right? Extremist yeah. violent ideas occasionally. And I think this is something to dig into. I, I, as I'm saying, I didn't dig into this as sufficiently as I have to. I will do it hopefully. In, it's one of my research sort of uh, projects that I have for the, for the broader feature, but yeah. I think there's something that's interesting there to, to look into because when you see and, and, and interestingly when you, because religious authority and political authority were so linked to one another in Tunisia when one crumbled in the revolution the religious authority also crumbled right so the Ministry of Religious yeah. Affairs lost control of the mosques Zituna mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. was trying to invent itself and it was just inventing people from around to start to understand what it wants to be in this new revolutionary environment I yeah. think it had some partial success in having autonomy, in creating an identity again among the students, among the professors. And I think it grew a little bit in size, it grew in terms of its activity. It requires more resources, definitely, but I think it has some sort of reactivation. I think that's important to notice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think I, I, I want to draw a comparison. Oh, uh, okay, we're back. A, a comparison with Iraq here, because in Iraq, uh, you know, you had the rise of ISIS, right? Yes. And, and in, in, interestingly, I'm not a scholar of Iraq, but interestingly, uh, when Saddam Hussein was in power, uh, the religious authority, the Sunni religious authority, was very closely linked to the authority of the state. But the Shia mm-hmm. were, because the, the, yeah. the, the state was controlled by, the, by, by Saddam yeah. Sunni, right? But the Shia were not. The yeah. Shia had their of Marja. Now, this is a specificity of Shia Islam. And when they, when sort of the the political authority uh, um, fell down in Iraq. The Sunni mm-hmm. authority also fell down. And if you look at it, ISIS managed to attract much more people from the from the Sunni sphere, right? Uh, and and that's yes. notice. And and this is normal. But the Shia didn't go into this process of radicalization in the same way, in my understanding, at least. You know, as I'm saying, I'm not. This is not my specialty. And, and interesting. But, yeah. Yeah, but so, they have, but they have, but they have Hezbollah. I mean, just you know. Yeah, it's different. It it's different. Arm, Hezbollah arm is forcing. different. Hezbollah is is is, is the. Uh, it's I think much more. I mean, related. it's different. But my point is that they wouldn't go behind ISIS anyway because they have their yeah, they alternative. Wouldn't. Of they wouldn't. Not compare Hezbollah to ISIS, but I'm just saying that any Shia person Hezbollah would go. Didn't, didn't emerge in in in, in the same setting. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying that it, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't go uh, uh, wouldn't go um, you know behind um, ISIS. Yeah, anyway. that's a counter argument. I it's it's yeah. true, but other yeah. things would have emerged when the ISIS emerged. Probably, yeah, yeah. And they didn't emerge. I think there's something interesting. So, the my whole point is the, the, from these examples is that 
religious void can lead to extremism in, in certain Absolutely. cases, is, is yes. I think an argument that I'm making here. Mm -hmm. And then if you go back to Tunisia, it's, it's what's particularly, I think, um, important to understand is also that the Tunisian sort of uh, way of dealing with religious institutions is not, was not secularism, right? So this is something some people call sometimes, you know, the Tunisian secularism, Almania, oh, it was not secularism. That, we use that a lot. And we think that, I mean, most Tunisians think that Tunisia yeah. is more, more, you know, like than yeah. France itself. I personally disagree because okay. um, so this is one thing I wanted to notice as, as I want to talk about as well, because uh, if you look at the theory of laicite and how it was formulated as an institutional arrangement, it, its its tenets are religious freedom and state neutrality. Mm -hmm. Founding religious institutions and putting them under state control, in my understanding of laicite, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't fall under the umbrella of laicite, right? Because you're creating religious institutions for one, and for two, you're putting them under state control. This is not the premises of laicite. Laicite is well, based on put them under state, state control so that you control them and they don't they don't really interfere with the other state issues. So it's not it's not that you're you know um, you know um, putting them in value or anything. It's not that. It doesn't matter in, in any ways. You 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 are controlling religious institutions. Look at France. The French That's state fine. does not as control. long as the religious constitutions does not do not control or do not have a say in the state affairs. You know, the other way around yeah. is fine for for a secular state. Um, I I disagree because I okay. don't think this is the I think this is not a secular state basically. So this is the because this is the this was already in place in in France actually. You know mm -hmm. what was mm -hmm. in place in France with the Napoleon's Concordat yes. in uh, 1872 was some sort of Gallicanism. Uh, which is basically the state authority control of religion. This was already in place in France in 18, since 1872. Yes, true. And the law of 1905 changed this in France. And I think even the French people do not know this very well. The 1905 law in French of laïcité is not the one of Jacobin uh, control of religious institutions. To the contrary, it was forced by the liberals of the French uh, uh, <laughs> Republic. And yes. its premise is basically opposing this Napoleonic control of religious institutions. To the contrary, the French state of 1905 is based on the premise of the uh, non-reconnaissance, but also independence of religious institutions, okay. right? So the French state is based on the fact that the French state does not recognize either symbolically or financially any religious institutions. And you right? think it's not, it's, not, it's not the case here? It's not close it's to- It's not the case in Tunisia at all. No, the state- okay. Recog not only recognize it, the state, the modern state has founded new religious institutions in the last century mm -hmm. and it took the independent, already independent institutions under its control. This is what Napoleon did. This is not what the 1905 did in, law did in France. This is what Napoleon did. But you know, when you say under its, its, its um, control, it means that it, it's making sure uh, to make it not thrive, you know, just like what Bourguiba did. You know, yeah, the reason also, we're saying... Huh. Yeah, so, when Napoleon took it under control, yes, he, he relied on religious authority. Yes. So for, for him... Because uh, he was influenced by the was, French. That I'm just trying to explain why Tunisians think this way. Because Bourguiba did what he did. Yeah. Because, no, because he was I, I, secular I, himself. Yeah, Yeah, I understand. Bourguiba himself might have secular... Secular has many understandings, yes. right? 
Bugila might be secular in terms of his way of life, as we understand of like non-practicing or, 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 or something like that, right? But yeah. that doesn't make Tunisian state secular. This is, I think, an important distinction. And I don't think Tunisian state was ever secular uh, mm-hmm. since history. Uh, yeah, cause, but because, uh, you know, just talking about, you know, him removing, you know, prestigious university or institution like the, the Zaytuna University, that's like the heart of the, the entire thing. Why did he do that? Because he it is he is secular and he wanted to make the state secular. That's like the formula. Yeah, in yeah. but but his understanding of secularism was not secular in that and 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 that thing. okay that's another level right? so, uh, <laughs> I, I i i mean i don't know what uh, burgiba uh, but i also don't think burgiba um had um i i this should be looked into but i don't think burgiba from what i understand i, I he because he didn't put laicite in the constitution like i said wouldn't right? be able to at that stage because so they didn't no... were still you know uh, alive and they were powerful you know and listened to but anyway yeah. just let's go beyond the individual his and you know him as a person yeah um, i mean i don't think as a, as, a, as, a, I mean... as a head of state who, who yeah. would do that who would who would dare you know, shut down a prestigious and, you know, mm-hmm. a historical, you know, you know, religious institution like that. Is that is that part of democracy or the democracy that he claimed to bring oh. to, the, to the country after the independence? I mean, does anyone consider Tunisia to be a democracy after 1957? Of course, but he was, no, no, it's not, of course, but he was trying to, he was, you know, trying to, to uh-huh. tell that to, to, well, to the... Okay, to the, so the, there's the, different ways. I think people like Bourguiba very pragmatics who wanted to, who had and, and they were very ideologically motivated and they were yeah. not uh, super open to the deliberation or discussion with regards to he, he chose to be a president for life and, anyways uh, even political political freedom is not I mean uh, yeah so <laughs> in, in an environment where there is no political freedom obviously religious freedom didn't thrive that's that's clear I think but yes. Uh, but there was a modernization project at hand, and mm-hmm. that modernization project was already decided upon by Burgiba or people around him, right? So the, the founders of the state. And the founders of the state had very clear ideas about what this modernization project meant. And they wanted to implement that, mod- that modernization project um, no matter what. Because they think this was the ma- this was the way to make Tunisia succeed and make Tunisia reach sort of the level of uh, modern um, con- uh, developed countries, right? Yeah, so they focused a lot on education and making it mandatory yeah. and everything. Yeah, that, that's, that's that again, was the authorities were an obstacle. I think that's clear. And religious authorities were an obstacle in the sense of they were political enemies, right? So when you have political enemies, uh, so then when an, sort of an institution becomes a political enemy, in a non-democratic context, the mm-hmm. non-democratic in a non-democratic context, right? Political enemies are eliminated. That's just what happens. I mean, I'm not yeah, saying. So, you, so, are you are you are you just saying implicitly that I'm not saying it should. This is what should be done, right? I'm not trying to defend any of these positions. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm just, just saying, saying that, that you think that religious, what happens all around the world. Um, religious shuyuf, I mean, shuyufs or people of Israel shouldn't even, you know, um, you know, be part of the political spectrum. Just to oh. be, just to make the religious affairs of a country, mm-hmm. you know, separate and okay. free as mm-hmm. much as they can. Are you saying that? Um, I mean, if you're asking my personal opinion, I think yes. uh, religion 
is something that has social and public implications. Uh-huh. And that's natural and that's understandable. Uh, so anyone uh, can have a role in engaging with the public debate, including mm-hmm. religious scholars, including... Uh, this is normal. But the, what's important, at least in my understanding, uh, my personal views at least, is to be aware that the state can function without control of religious institutions, and by the same token, the state can function without controlling the religious institutions. I'll try to reformulate it, because the two things okay. are not mutually exclusive. So I'll give you an example, right? So for instance, um, if you look at the case of Canada, right, they have a different system there. In the Canadian system, uh, the religious communities are, they can express themselves, they can be recognized by the state, they can be uh, given, religious people can be given specific accommodations. Uh, let's say, for instance, you have, an, uh, this actually, I lived this when I was studying in Canada, right? I had a friend who was Catholic, sorry, who was Catholic, uh-huh. uh, and we had a test on the Eastern, and he asked for an accommodation because he was a, a practicing Catholic to have a take a, so sort of um, do the exam on another day. And this this demand was accepted by the university, which is a public institution, right? It's a state it university. Wouldn't, it wouldn't happen in France, never, ever. It wouldn't happen in France, no. Yeah. But so but the same thing would have applied to uh, to a Muslim student for, for Ramadan or Eid, for instance, probably, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am 99% sure of that, right? So. Well, so this I mean, means just, state... just, just a second, you know, here in Tunisia, our our schedules, uh, for example, at university or high school are not really um, done based on the Salawat prayer. So you're not, mm-hmm. even if you're asked to go to Jama'a prayer, you're not allowed to if you have work, mm-hmm. you know? Well, you see, so... so we are kind of secular. We're not like, we're not like the other Muslim majority countries. In no, this no, you're not. So this is yeah. one thing. So there are certain things, Burjiba took from French laïcité. There's Even the headscarf, you know, the, the problem with the headscarf. I mean, yeah. before oh, the revolution, it was yeah. not. I mean, this, in Iran, they're talking about being it, being mandatory. But in Tunisia, mm-hmm. it was mandatory not to wear it. I mean, it was prohibited yeah. not to wear it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. here is my contention. Here is my contention. You don't have to agree to it, right? I mean, obviously. <laughs> but is that uh, the Tunisian understanding of uh, religion and state took from the French laïcité more formalistic aspects rather than the the real content. Uh, this is my understanding, at least. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. French laïcité has a, what they call the theory of appearances. So neutrality right. of state is a way to assure secularism in many countries, not just in France. Neutrality yeah. of state. But how is this neutrality assured? In France, it has to be neutrality of appearances. Uh, this is the French theory of laïcité, right? Yes. So you yes. have to appear neutral to be able to be neutral. So you don't, if you're a public official, you cannot carry a, a religious a symbol, yeah. right? A, a cross or, or, or a headscarf they consider. There, there's yeah. problems, there's many problems with that that I can understand. I know, let's, yeah. let's not Let's not go into the details of it, right? There, there's theoretical issues and practical issues, but theoretical issues is, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a very brief, like, theoretical issue is if you are banning a religious symbol by the sake of it being a religious symbol, this, this, this means that you as a state 
have to have, have, the, have the right to decide what corresponds to a religious symbol. Yes. And who just decides what religion and what's not religion? This is the job of a theologian. This is the job of, of, an, of, of a scholar, right? A theologian is the person who says what is religion and what's not religion. Yes. And if you as a state need to ban religious symbols, then you have to ban, you have to decide what's the religious symbol, you know? How do you associate between a purely cultural symbol and a, and a religious symbol, right? Yeah. So this requires religious expertise. And this means that state needs to have religious expertise, which then again contradicts the very of idea of laicite, right? This means that state has to have religious... So this is a paradox of laicite, <laughs> I think, right? Yeah. Theoretically. And then in practice, in France, the state gives all sort of recognition to Catholicism, right? Christmas, trees, everywhere put down by... But when it comes to... Where is the, where is the neutrality of appearance in that, right? So there, there are issues with French laicite, right? right? But yeah. what I'm saying is that Tunisian laicite is not French laicite either. There yeah, might be issues with French laicite, but... But Tunisian laicite took the neutrality of appearances from the French laicite. So neutrality of appearances. This is what especially Ben Ali tried to put in place in Tunisia. Do you think and, it is similar to the Turkish laicite? Of course, yes. Turkish laicite also took this. We also have the neutrality of appearances. And then there's a growing talk in France now about how religion needs to be a private thing and it should not have public manifestation, which is, in my view, uh, a complete an understanding of what religion is for many religions uh, around the world, right? It should be displayed in the first place, yeah. Because religion has social implications. I mean, this is how, if you ask any scholar who works on religion, they will tell you that religion has social implications. Uh, and community is, is a part. And, and there's a book I, I've sort of been meddling with very recently, it's called Arguing Islam, okay. right? Uh, and in this book, um, it, it's I they, so it's I think it's about how actually Islam is part of the public debate in many Muslim majority countries, right? So this doesn't mean necessarily that um, religious institutions uh, will control political authority, but that people see religion as part of public debate. So now. Mm -hmm. And, and, and this is interesting, I think, to discuss, because it might be that in some societies, religion constitutes a part of public debate. And it, it doesn't necessarily follow, though, that yeah, yeah. religion will, or religious authorities will control the state, you know? So I think this, or that political authorities will control these authorities, yeah. right? I think okay. there's a distinction that needs to be made between the two. Mm -hmm. You can publicly discuss religion, you can um make religion um sort of present in the public life you can make it public uh, uh you can make it visible but yeah. you can still create an institutional separation between state authorities and religious authorities in my perfect. eyes those perfect two things don't necessarily need to go together right yeah okay perfect not to to end i mean i mean this is this is your conclusion right what you yeah, i mean this is <laughs> This is my theoretical conclusion with regards to not just Tunisia, but I think there, there are ways in, the, in which this is being done and it can be done in other places. Yeah, this is, I think, my main mm -hmm, conclusion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So just one final question and just maybe your concluding remarks. Um, don't you think that ideology plays a lot in this field and religion? I mean, people might not be religious, but uh -huh. they have ideolo ideological um, beliefs and that 
kind of you know um, dictates how they interact with other um, different ideologies, and then you know it has implications the political and religious freedom of the country, mm-hmm. particularly in Tunisia. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing is political entrepreneurs can shift public opinions. There are studies on this, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have I, ideologies are there generally to simplify. It's one of their, they have different functions, but one function yeah. of ideology is to simplify the political game and the political competition. And this is simplify? Yeah, simplify sometimes. Because okay. um, there's thousands of issues, right? And left and right, this is how it's perceived, for instance, left and right, mm-hmm. economically speaking, right? Um, it is two major blocks that simplify a myriad of issues. Right, so they simplify for ordinary citizens yes. the um, different issues. Right, so so this is one function. Ideology has many functions. This is one function that I'm referring mm-hmm. to right now. Right, so one function of ideology is to simplify the political game, and and as a consequence of this, people identify with certain ideology and with certain political figures, political entrepreneurs, politicians, yes. whatsoever. And those political entrepreneurs, in turn can have an influence on how people think and the ide- ideology that they identify with and how they oppose other, other people, yes. right? So political entrepreneurs can shift public opinions as well. Not all of them can do it, but some of them can do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is important to note. Uh, and then secondly, uh, there are um, other interests sometimes that are joined with ideology, right? So ideologies can be promoting the interests of certain classes, certain social groups, certain, um, I don't know, regions, certain whatsoever, right? There is also the second thing. So ideologies can be connected to other interests as well. Um, so in, in so when those things interact, uh, people sometimes oppose certain things Due to this polarization, right? That that's the, the so ideology is part of this polarization, I think. Yes. And then polarization can lead people to opposing certain uh, ideas, certain projects, certain uh, laws, even right, uh, because of this polarization. And and yes, I mean, in that yeah, sense, yeah. you're right. I mean, of course, yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, we've been talking about for about forty six minutes. Can you believe yeah. it? Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. I think um, um, I have that we covered, you know, the most important points of this topic. And I have that our viewers benefited from this talk. And if you have any further questions, uh, we'll put um, the contact and the email of Mr. Belyohan, um in the description. And um, yeah, thank you very much for being with us. And uh, hopefully you. we'll have you soon in um you know different island um you know conferences or workshops or online um activities thank you so much for being with us thank you goodbye